You are listening to the Pull List Podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Murai, part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. everybody and welcome to episode four of the pull list podcast i am chris poirier and i'm joined by my co-host hector say hi to the lovely people hector greetings true believers true believers for those of you who may not know we are part of the love thy nerd podcast network along with two other amazing shows humans of gaming where you can hear interviews and discussions with game designers and creators as well as the free play podcast which is an amazing collection of discussions on just about everything and anything generally nerdy you can check all of us out at lovethynerd.com and you can also join in the discussion that we have each and every day on our facebook community just search for love thy nerd on the book of faces and you can can join in. It's a closed group, but it's a great group of folks, and we just talk about all those cool, nerdy things that go on in general. But Hector and I, we are here with the Pull List Podcast, and we love us some comics. So we have a lot to talk about this week. Lots of books, new number ones came out this week. Last week was a little slow, but we'll talk about that. And then obviously we want to spend part of our day today talking about the one and only Stan the Man Lee who unfortunately has left us, and but left us with such an amazing legacy that Hector and I just want to be able to spend some time to talk about that and just revel in what he truly did. He spent literally almost his entire life just pouring into comics in the industry. So before we jump in and talk about Stan, Hector, what you been pulling? So, uh, first of all, when you say Stan the Manly, I know that's a nickname. I know that's something we actually refer to him as. But anytime I hear that, all I hear is Stanley the Manly uh, from the <laughs> office. And um, so, I'm like, it, it's it's kind of tainted for me. Um, so, anyway, uh, what I'm reading. Uh, let's see. Some, some low highlights. Uh, the Green Lantern number one from Grant Morrison wasn't the worst. Um I enjoyed it. Uh, Marvel Knights was surprisingly good. Um, wasn't yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was I wasn't expecting. I felt like oh, this is gonna be shady, but I felt like it was a better Daredevil story than the current Daredevil story. Um, Ooh, sorry. Um, you're, you're not you're not wrong. I'm sorry. I, I kind of agree. Um, Hulk. Uh, Mortal Hulk was good. I enjoyed that. Um, Red Hood and the Outlaws is doing good. Um, it's doing good things, but I, I don't know that I love the pseudo meta human direction it's going in right now. Um, Jason's worst stories are the stories where they're doing meta stuff, um, like the era when he was Nightwing for a minute. Um, but I don't think that they're doing that per se. But you know, I want them to keep it on a tight line. But then they did just bring in Batwoman. And that was nice, you know, it was cool to see Miss Kane and whatnot, but uh, the fact that they had to squeeze in a bat guano joke. Um, oh, no. It's, it's just like, guys, we're better than that. Um, <laughs> they literally read the page, we don't need this bat guano. And I'm like, first of all, why would you say bat guano? Wouldn't you just say guano? And oh, like, no. Like, that's that's super redundant but whatever um <laughs> bat- detective is good um i'm enjoying the two-faced batman team up thing it's it's still it's still a pretty decent book um it's not the best batman but it's far from the worst um plastic man from gail simone i enjoyed reading it i'm glad i read it but i'm glad it's over um as a current way it was going um, I think that if Gale's going to keep writing Plastic Man, it needs to be with him in continuity and interaction with the other real DC universe folks. I don't think it's over, over, but, um, you know, I, I, I would rather see Plastic Man not be in a world of his own right now. Um, but he is in the Terrifics, right? That's a thing. Like, uh, I'm not, I haven't been reading, so I... The Terrifics I started with and I didn't really stick with. A lot of the new Age of Heroes stuff just didn't click for me. It didn't so, um, I tried damage, but yeah. I think he was on that inaugural team, right? Um, that sounds right. And I mean, I yeah. think they've been rolling with that. So that sounds right. 
Yeah, so that that shows you how much of an interest it was. Um, so, <laughs> oops, but yeah, uh, let's see what else. Um, Domino is being crushed. Like it is just Gail Simone is nailing Domino. She's just doing a fantastic job. Um, I'm super glad it's a book that continued. Um, it looked like you know it was going to be a mini series at first, but um, Domino is consistently a fantastic book. And uh, right now they're doing an arc with uh, Morbius, the awkwardly existing living vampire from Spider Man, because that's a thing. And of course, they can't make a uh, a Morbius issue without a Twilight joke in there. So you know, oh, uh, uh, it's like, did, did they have to? I think they think they have to. I don't think that they have to. Um, and it makes me sad that they think they have to. But you know, whatever. Um, so there's a the thing. Um, Captain America is still a really solid book. Um, they just finished this first arc, uh, Winter in America, I believe, which is really poignant. Um, and, you know, I enjoyed it. It was some of Cap in his glory. Uh, you know, he said step one is something and step two is to pray. And uh, I was like, get him, Cap. I like you. Uh, yep. Let's see. I picked up Empty Man and Daredevil 611. I haven't read those yet. Um, those are, you know, it was one of those, there were so many books this week that I legit couldn't finish them all. Not with my life. Um, but the two that really, or the three that were my favorite picks of the week. Um, first of all, there was a Dr. Horrible one shot. And, uh, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Horrible is a Dr. Horrible sing-along blog was an internet musical that took place during the writer's strike of 2008, way back in the day. Um, and it and was glorious. This this was still in dial-up internet times for some folks. Like, I was on dial-up internet when that was a thing. Um, but it is a 45-minute musical starring Nathan Fillion and Neil Patrick Harris and Felicia Day. And with that... It's it's it was a it was a big hit. Like I think it even got like a Grammy nomination or something, um, or at least some. It, it got some good awards for whatever it was. But uh, they've released a one shot comic book that comes after that, and it is called Doctor Horrible Best Friends Forever, and it features a post the musical issue that starts out with Captain Hammer. And Dr. Horrible as, like, squealy BFFs. Like, what? Uh, like, buying each other presents and riding around on motorcycles together and giggling and noogies and hugs. Um, and you're reading this and you're like, what? what's happening? And, you know, they get to that in the story. Um, and it's good. You, like, you know, you even get a little penny in there a little bit. Um, which is too too soon it's like a decade later and it's still too soon um (laughs) i respect that though um they still uh like legit i met felicia day at dragon con and like of of all the million things i've seen in her like i pictured her like uh as dead penny (laughs) like when i walked up to her oh "Oh, no." no like that was my first thought i'm like giving her a side hook thinking it's dead penny um but whatever uh (laughs) But it, it's a good issue. You actually get to meet characters that were only referred to in the musical. Like Hourglass um, is a main character in this issue. You get to see that Moist has come into himself as his own villain. And he rides around in a uh, soggy vehicle with female henchmen called the Towelettes. Um, and it's it's just Ugh. one of those things of getting to really delve a little bit deeper into the Dr. Horrible universe. It's a little sad that it's only a one-shot but on the flip side, it is actually written by Joss Whedon, which is nice. Um, so that was cool. Uh, another one is Firefly number one, which I oh, flipped and so loved. good. It was so good. Um, it felt right. Um, there's a lot of uh, Firefly issues recently in the past, you know, years that felt close but not accurate or felt close but not right especially once you go delving in i think not that they didn't need to tell the stories but once you tell the stories after serenity without wash and without book it's as it's harder to connect like every new person they introduce to you is just like but it's not them 
No, it's um, it's definitely true. I had the same experience and that I, I wanted to know the continuing story, but there are parts of it that just felt so weird. And because for those of us who are fans, we only had the one season and we, right. And we got used to that crew and we just, brown coats want more of that crew. And it looks like that's what we're going to get, or at least that's where we're starting. So, so happy. And uh, it was a really solid, man, I missed Shepard Book. Like I missed him a lot. He's my fa- he's one of my top three favorite fictional characters. Which, by the way, if you are Christmas shopping for me, are Krillin, Red Hood, and Shepherd Book are my three favorite fictional characters. I actually have a shelf that is nothing but those three guys. I have a Red Hood helmet, five Red Hood action figures, three Shepherd Books, and uh, fourteen Krillins, which is more than they should legally make. Um, but I- I'm a Shepherd Book fan. And in fact, uh, with everything I do with Faith and Fandom, that actually all started because of Shepherd Book. Like, originally I was going to make a devotional just about Shepherd Book, and then it became Faith and Fandom. So, I, me and Book, I love some Book. Um, so, it was so nice to get fresh Book dialogue. But on top of that, it was good Book dialogue. Um, oh, man, it was so on point. It was on point, and you actually get to see Book being judged for not being religious enough, um, or not being, you know, judgmental enough, or stuff like that. And if if you know me, or you know my background, you know my church, you know what I do with faith and fandom stuff like that. That's stuff I deal with on the regular. Um, like uh, there's a line in Parks and Recreation uh, where you know they're dealing with stuff, and so Leslie is like, "So it's too Christian, but not Christian enough." Do you see the irony in that? Um, and, right. <laughs> um, and I I feel like I deal with that on the regular. So sh- seeing Shepherd Book be faith-splained something to, like be talked down to because he's not judgmental enough, it was like, I'm really looking forward to where this is going. Um, so I, I'm totally pumped about where this issue is going. But it also does tie into some of the more controversial judgment calls in the Firefly comic book universe, like it's some of the mm. stuff after Better Days, like uh, like we see that uh, in in one of the other Firefly books, Zoe was basically an insurgent terrorist, um, after Unification War, and uh, they're they're arcing back to some of that in this story, um, but for Mal and Zoe, so it was it's an interesting it's an interesting go. I'm totally pumped about that. And then the other thing was uh, Mister Miracle was my favorite book of the week. But on the same token, it's because it was legit... Um, it was legit challenging because they turned this 12-issue story about some B-list superheroes to the mainstream culture and made it a overarching cry about existentialism, about what life really is about, about fear of death, about dealing with those things. And... um. You know, it boils down to one of the last panels in the book is him saying, you know, that he was scared of death, that he was scared and running from and everything else. But he thinks back to uh, the people that didn't exist before and the people that don't exist now and, you know, that they were here, but they're not. And he's just talking about all this. And that's, you know, it's something we all go through and it's something we don't have to fear because we're all part of this. So, you know, it's not just I think that's one of the things that I really was encouraged by. It's. Because I, I don't know, maybe this is too deep for this conversation, but just saying, like, the older I get, the more the concept of eternity is harder to really grasp sometimes. or And that the concept of eternity is just as hard to grasp as the concept of not existing if we're, you know, the same token, if, like, what we believe isn't right. Um, you know, it's, like, on those things. And I really feel like they managed to squeeze a really good discussion with a good point to that in like five panels of comic. And I yeah. Like, and don't, and don't miss that. Uh, everyone, uh, we are talking about a comic book and you just heard lots of really big words and we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not kidding. Um, Tom King has woven this story in one of DC's more obscure corners of their universe, uh, the fourth world and bringing the new gods, literally B-level characters, into this really poignant 
really matter-of-fact discussion on what is the meaning of it all, quite literally. And no, it it's such a mind-blowing experience reading through this and then seeing where it ended up that it balanced out so well that this this is a book that folks are going to want to read all 12 issues of, that when the trade comes out, I think Hector and I both agree, speaking for you, Hector, but you can chime in, um, you, you're going to want to read this um, and see what Tom had to say and what this story actually gets to because it is super deep. So what are you reading? What was your pull list this week? Uh, well, how do I follow that up? Um, <laughs> so um, we obviously read a lot of the same things this week. I was probably most excited for Firefly. I am a brown coat. I absolutely love everything about the Firefly Serenity universe. And yes, the... We kind of talked about that the older comics, it, it, some of them were close, but it just didn't quite have the feel that we were talking before we started the podcast that the thing that I loved about this, and you mentioned it as well, is after reading this, I felt like I just watched an episode, which is exactly where I want to be mentally when Absolutely. absorbing this stuff is that um, Greg Pack is writing this one, which is kind of the first time that um, someone... In that's a little more established in the comic industry other than one of the Whedons has taken on writing the pieces of this and it was just my I could close my eyes and I heard the voices and that's just yes. exactly where you want to be that I was like yup that that is exactly how I would have envisioned that unfolding so and another uh, great thing is with that it you don't have to have the comics backlog supplemental material to jump into this you could literally no nope. watch season one of firefly and pick this issue up yep and you would fall right in and you'd be good to go and i i hope it continues that way because that's a great feel for this series it's exactly what it should be so i i was a little skeptical based on art and um just well, the change of venues for them so I, i'm glad that Boom it's off Studios to a good start so good with judas that I'm willing to try them on new properties. Um, legit. Bo- like, Boom is great. I, and that's the thing. I don't even think Boom Studios was on my radar until Judas. Um, and, you know, when I saw that Boom Studios was handling this, it was a good deal for me. And, and what you're saying, too, with the art, bad art can suck out the joy of a story. Um, so It's so true. Um, the, the new Doctor Who issue, the first Doctor Who issue, it's one of the ones I also read I didn't mention. I wanted to enjoy it so bad. Jody Hauser's a great writer, but the art was the art was really weak sauce, and I couldn't I couldn't enjoy the story because of how wonky the art was. And I was you know like you, I was a little hesitant looking at the early art for Firefly coming into that. But yeah, go. What what else are you read? Uh, I also did pick up Uncanny X Men number one. So the culmination of all the different X books that have kind of come into existence over the last year um, from back when they started blue and gold and then red and then weapon X and then weapon H and then astonishing astonishing and, fuchsia and, X-Men purple and, and, and X-Men black. <laughs> and um, that I was overwhelmed with the amount of X books that I was like, okay, uncanny's coming, bringing the uncanny moniker back is going to be great. I'm just going to sit back and take take a break and and pick up Uncanny number 1 and I did. Um and I still don't know how I feel. I I wish I could say, "Wow, they really knocked it out of the park." I don't think it was a home run. I think Ooh. it needed to be, to be honest. Ooh. Um but <laughs> this is kicking off a 12-part weekly much like they did with Avengers No Surrender, so I I'm unfortunately kind of skeptical, but I mean, art-wise, it actually does look great. It feels like an X-Men book, and I I want to enjoy it. So hopefully they will settle this story down and just really start firing because in establishing an X-Men team for me, it just just needs to make sense and it needs to flow. It has to have that action, but it also has to have that tension of their existence in the world, which they did set up. Because they're back to pieces of the, there are folks that are still trying to cure the mutant gene out of them. So I'm glad that they're still sticking to their roots. But I just, I, I guess you I want more. But I can't articulate it. 
Yeah, and that's kind of what we talked about in our last episode, that sometimes we get that feeling of repetitive stories that you can literally pick up a story and it feel the same no matter what decade it is. Um, but we shall see. Um, I also really enjoyed Marvel Knights. Um, that was a great first kickoff to that particular story. I'm really looking forward to where Donnie Cates takes that. That Donnie's so hot right now, writing everything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, so I, I, I'm going to read it and I'm looking forward to it. And I think it's off to a really cool start. So I, if you're interested, yeah, go. Can I ask you if you felt like uh, you were getting House of M deja vu? Yeah, there's there's something going on there. Um, like, that the it, whole it, it felt like House of M to me. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Like it straight that, up, it's, it straight up felt like uh, how uh, with Daredevil starting out in this issue that it felt like Wolverine and House of M. That's just I got that vibe, but yeah. Now that's actually a really good parallel for this, and that as they played through that startup of him kind of literally grasping in the dark. Sorry, pun intended, not intended. Um, oh no! Yeah, I I, <laughs> I went there, but it, it's interesting to see a hero like that pulled out of themselves. That you know, just to let you guys know, he's kind he's kind of been dumped into this world, but doesn't remember anything. So he's kind of trying to figure out who he is, but he's got some connections to the real world. So yeah, it and we don't find out by the end of the first issue. So well done. I want to read more. I want to know what's going on. I also had the chance to pick up Green Lantern number one, Grant Morrison's uh, first foray into the Green Lantern and bringing uh, Hal Jordan back into the mix. And yeah, I thought that was pretty wild. The art was great. I actually really like this art style for Green Lantern and the whole cosmic cop thing, which they really did beat the death in the narrative in this book. But yeah, they, they we, made we, sure you knew that. It's like Burt yeah, Macklin, so, FBI. Right. <laughs> it's like, got it. Hal, Hal Jordan's kind of a jerk. Nobody really likes him, but he's a super good space cop. Got it. Um, so I, I'm going <laughs> to, right. Um, yes. So I'm looking forward to seeing number two in that. I haven't been a huge green lantern fan in the past, so I'm willing to give it a shot and be pulled into that universe. Cause I know there's a ton to it. I, I don't think um, I've been in the green lantern universe officially since blackest night ended. Oof. And, well, that's probably fair because I think for a lot of fans that that's about where things pivoted and just weren't quote unquote the same, for lack of a better word. Um, that that was just a really great story, and then they just kind of went off in a different direction. And so, hopefully, this is kind of a return to form for the Lanterns and the core. So, I'm looking forward to seeing what I mean. Grant Morrison just writes absolutely bonkers stories, so I expect. Yes the art and the stories to kind of uh, mimic one another and just be great. And then finally, um, I did finally get to reading Batman from last week, which I think was 58 where they finally bring uh, the penguin into our ongoing story. And I, I kind of didn't know what to expect. The solicitation had a really strange, um, like the penguin and Batman, like, join forces or something like that. And that's not really what happened in that book at all. They set um, up a, a dialogue, but not joint forces. Right. Yeah. It was like, the, they're not holding hands and skipping down the yellow brick road, heading to Oz to see the wizard or anything like that. It's quite the opposite. Um, but that's, that said the tension that was in that book was really good. And Tom King is clearly now bringing us back to the story that got set up pre issue 50 and then understanding the cabal of all the villains and even some friends that are working against Bruce. And so I I'm in, I I'm, I'm excited again for this, that it kind of felt like, except for the cold days arc, which we talked about in our first episode, was really good that this feels like a return for Tom to the story that he's telling. So I'm hoping he sticks on that path. A question though, is like, uh, when you were reading this, where did Jason shoot penguin in the face? 
Like, did he shoot him in the eye? Is that what's up with the black monocle? Um, because it's continuity. It's it's Batman like continuity that Jason shot Penguin in the face, which is why he's extradited, which is why like all of this is happening. So Right. What what up? <laughs> I yeah. I'm I'm a little lost on it as well, but I think what you just said is probably the most accurate. I, I'm hoping they kind of pull more into that, and I think they will. Um, Tom usually doesn't just leave information like that on the table without revisiting it or at least laying out what he's trying to do with it. I mean, so, am I wrong? That is continuity, right? Because I know there's a the thing with the DC Universe versus like whatever... Um, yeah, yeah. So, no, this is absolutely continuity that um, in mainline Batman, or if you pick up any DC book, a uh, quick explainer here for thanks. what they've done I could since. Use a recap. Um, yep, nope. For what DC did with Rebirth is on any book, when you see the DC emblem directly below it, you're going to see something that says comics, or you're going to see something that says universe. If it just is the DC emblem or DC emblem and the word comics, that is kind of their Elseworlds, off-continuity, um, that type of thing. So, like, Batman White Knight just had the DC emblem on it and falls under their comics. So, it has its own continuity, but it is not in the DC universe, which is the multiverse that we love and understand across all of their books. The universe is literally that is active continuity in all of the main lines at that time. So okay. it's a little confusing, but it kind of also helps that if you see a book and go, what on earth is that? You can know that it might just be a one shot story that they're trying to tell, um, like with their black label stuff and Batman Damned, um, White Knight um, and like that Rob, kind of like stuff. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Batman Damned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wait, mean, wait, 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 hold on. Well, okay, I hear you, and that makes sense. But isn't Heroes in Crisis also continuity? I believe so. I actually have to double check the book, but I'm pretty sure it is. It's not, the label's not on that. Yeah, they try to make things really complicated. Um, that's the theory behind all of it um but there are books that they're not putting the main line on because there's also been some discussion on whether metal really happened or didn't happen um it well, leans in the direction that metal definitely happened and that's the whole new heroes and everything but i think they well, honestly not, actually the, tried to hold back and decide whether if it sold well then it was a thing and then if it didn't then it wasn't yeah but there's elements that, of metal in every dc story right Yep. Well, and that's because it did well. Because to be honest, they started adding the tied to metal tag to things that aren't <laughs> at all because they knew that metal was selling so well. So it is part of the marketing strategy. And that's where things kind of get a little fuzzy. So I didn't Does... realize that Plastic Man was part of the DC Universe with that. So, oh, Mr. Miracle's not and Plastic Man is. That doesn't feel fair. But go on. Yeah. Well, they also did the really weird thing of if a book was in production prior to them making that trade dress change, they opted to not change it, which means there are stories that fell in the middle and Mr. Miracle is one of them. Um, Metal was technically one of them. So it's kind of confusing, but that's at least the theory behind all their trade dress. Because knowledge is power, the more you know, all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah. And then just like you said, Mr. Miracle was probably the most mind-blowing thing that I've read in the last two weeks. And, yeah. Uh, kids, pick that up when it comes out in trade. Visit your local comic shop. Try to find the issues if you can. It is worth your time to read that and understand what's going on. So, moving right along with the podcast here. We want to spend the rest of our time today really just Hector and I kind of talking about Stan Lee, who he was, um, that, you know, honestly, it, it's strange when people who are so influential um, pass away the impact that they have on our lives and how people respond to hearing the news of those types of things. But I, I it gave me pause um, when I heard that. You know, comics became a big part of my life um, about three years ago, and that 
partnered with my ministry and obviously as I dove head over heels in the comics and everything, Stan was such a giant in the formation of the industry and so many characters and everything that I I really found myself I it it really kind of got to me that we we had spent he was 95, he had spent so much time with us and did so many things that I know that Hector and I just want to spend some time just really celebrating what Stan did for the industry and what he's done for for us as fans um because just yeah it's so for me um I was in a staff meeting and I, I feel like too this is gonna you know I'm not in any way trying to downplay the reality of our past events or history or anything like that by saying this so, right keep keep me in perspective when you hear me this week these words come out of my mouth um i feel like this is going to be one of those situations like with 9-11 that everyone says well i was doing this when i found out um like i know that you know like that conversation comes up year after year of like of well you know when i when 9-11 happened i was in walden books shelving books and heard about it um right like for me and before that yeah, before that, you had people that, where were you when uh, President Kennedy was assassinated? And when there were just so many different parts of American history and major events that trigger people to remember different things because of the impact on their lives, their way of life, etc. That that's that's why they kind of bear on our hearts and, and on our souls. So, yeah, go keep going. So, you know, I was in a staff meeting. um, when news of Stan started to hit and um my wife <laughs> literally she was teaching a college class uh someone texted her she walked out of the college class that she was teaching to contact me <laughs> um so like she literally walked out of her career position to walk into the hallway to send me a text and let me know and um, she was the first person to tell me, and she's like, "I don't know if you've heard, but I just wanted to tell you, you know, like Stan Lee passed away." And like when she told me that, like honestly, it was a gut punch, but like it was better coming from her than anybody else, probably because you know, you know, it's the people that know you versus the people that know you superficially. Um, and my wife knew that that would legit wreck me a little bit. Um, so I had a second to like steal myself and get myself ready for what that looked like. And then, um, with that, I started getting, uh, I started getting text after text after text of, you know, Stan Lee passed away. Literally, I'm not kidding, dude. I had more people call me or text me when Stan Lee died than when my mother died. Oh um, man. <laughs> Like, but because that's the thing, yeah. people, 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 to everyone that's you know a muggle per se that's not in the geek <laughs> world, um, I'm the one guy in their life. You know, I'm I'm in church culture. I I'm a pastor. Yep. I'm I'm in the deep south. I'm in like you know I'm in that world, and so I'm the one geek everyone knows. Like when I was in high school, I was I think I was the only geek in my school. Um. And I wasn't even nearly as geeky as I am now. Um, but, like, I was that one geek. So people literally checked on me all throughout the day. And, uh, like, I don't think it was until, I don't know, like, Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday, I finally got some time by myself and it affected me. And, uh, like, I, you know, I had my emotional moments. And, like, I'm, I'm not going to try and flex my nerd card and say, oh, I, I wept in the corner or anything like that. You know, I shed tears about this. Sure. Um, yeah. Just because. But then again, I'm an emo kid that cries at 21 Pilots lyrics and Doctor Who episodes. So, you know, it's I, I am I am an emotional person. Um, but it, it made me sad. And but like. You know, it's it's not like you can say it's a tragedy or anything like that. The dude lived a freaking long life. He yep. uh, he accomplished more. I think I think that was what is it that that we lost someone who did so much um, was my biggest thing. But then, you know, 
I, you know, I never know what does and doesn't affect my kids certain ways. So like uh, my, I picked up for my kids from school and once they were all in the car, I was like, Hey, listen, I wanted to let you know, Stan Lee passed and like Stan Lee's dead. And my, uh, my 10 year old automatically like held my hand and laid her head on my shoulder and got sad. She's like, I'm sorry, dad. Um, and she's like, that's so sad. And then my eight year old, she's like the weird guy from all the movies. <laughs> because uh, from like, the mouths of babes. Because like, let's be super real. There's whole generations of people that only know Stan Lee is the weird guy that shows up in movies and they don't know why. They don't no, know. And that... Why is this dude here? So I think that's that's a good point to transition kind of to the what why was that dude there? So who was Stan Lee? And Stan Stan Lee, well, Stan Lee wasn't Stan Lee. He was born actually Stanley Martin Lieber and all the way back in 1922. So, you know, 95 years he experienced a second world war all the way through Korea, Vietnam, um all the I mean, our time in the Gulf, 9-11, the guy had seen so much. And during that time period, even before the Second World War, Stan was starting out in comics at 19 years old. That he he came out of high school and was like, I want to write the great American novel. I want to do this thing. And comics were just starting to really hit their stride there in New York City you know, 1938, 1939 was when we started really getting, you know, Superman, Batman, all the major DC characters were starting to hit. The new age of superheroes was truly being born. And Stan kind of was like, I want to be part of this. And literally just sought out those internships where he was just bringing guys in the bullpen coffee to then 95 years later being remembered for bringing an entire company to its height in Marvel comics, bringing so many iconic characters and villains to the drawing boards with some other amazing creators that where do you even begin to kind of pull apart what point Stan Lee did the most impactful thing to the industry I think that's where I started getting emotional is Stan's story is that of American hustle. That if you believe in something and you want to attain it, then work your butt off for it. Get in the trenches, learn from the people that are doing, and just do the best that you can and be the best that you can. And I think when I finally kind of lost it was, if you haven't seen it, there is a video that they're claiming is the last video interview that they kind of captured with Stan and it's not very long, but someone asked Stan about fans and the people that just really support him as a person and as a creator and what he's done. And he just goes on about a two minute. I do everything because of the fans, because of the people that want to enjoy, because of the people that take, enjoyment out of the things that we create that you know it wasn't so i can put my name in lights or be remembered as the guy that did all these amazing things it's that he wanted to always just be able to give the fans something to a story to enjoy a character to relate to and that that's the legacy that i'm going to hold of stands is you can come from nothing and become something but also never to lose that humility in wanting to support the people that you're creating for just, it blows my mind. For, for me, I think the biggest thing that I take away is just, you know, he literally was a groundbreaker in that he paved the way for everything we have, because I think, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, it's like a mother who works like, double shifts and stuff to provide for their kids or you know that one guy that slaves away so that you you can have a better future like that's stan lee for geek community like none of this none of this exists 
without what he did because here's the deal there were other comic book writers and let's be super real there were better comic book writers um um but stan not only created stan became the face and the flag bearer like um stan like even even as like when i was first watching like uh x-men cartoons on fox kids or when i was starting to like first learn about you know marvel comics and stuff like i knew stan lee's name before i knew like a senator's name or a president <laughs> like i before i knew anybody that actually ran our country's information i knew who stan lee was um as a kid um and like he's been present he's been that voice because here's the deal stan lee didn't even have to be involved in 80 percent of the things he did but he liked doing this he liked being present and he liked doing that like he's responsible for geek culture being a thing love thy nerd does not exist without stan lee faith and fandom does not exist without stan lee i doubt comic book culture would still be relevant i mean and think about it he even was part of marvel through the rough years like with with marvel going bankrupt with marvel doing all the the bad eras that they had like stan lee had already put in a lifetime into comics before i was even around um so literally i came in on the glory days of things uh even after the bad years um and I, I just think that's that's what I look at him as, as the guy who was the creator and the flag bearer of all these things. Because I, I, I grew up in the era when being a geek was still stuff you got picked on for. Um, or being a nerd was stuff you got picked on for. Now it's a, now it's a payable commodity. Um like I get jobs and I get hired and I get brought into things because I'm a geek. Like literally there's a superhero camp that happens in my city every year. And I was the only one considered for it because I'm a geek. <laughs> um, they, they called me and they said, here's a stack of money. Be superhero-y with our kids. Um, like I think, I think Stan is one of the guys that's responsible for that. And I think that's also one of the saddest parts um, about his legacy being, you know, not that his legacy's gone, but that, you know, I don't think there's another flag bearer out there. I don't think, um, because if you were Marvel or DC or Image or Top Cow or whatever your comics brand was, you still knew that Stan Lee was the guy, that he was the comic book person. Like, he was synonymous with Stan Lee. Like, I mean, that's... I posted on the Faith and Fandom page and everything, but, like, like my favorite Stan Lee cameo was young, was Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Um, because how gangster do you have to be to do a Stan Lee cameo in a freaking DC movie? I mean, Fantastic Four didn't even get a Stan Lee cameo. And... <laughs> Teen Titans go to the movies did. What's that say? That Stanley is that kind of cool that he can go into a DC movie, do a cameo and we applaud it. Um because we know he's important. Um and I I I just don't think that there's anybody else to fill those shoes the way he filled those shoes. I think that that's fair. There are definitely titans of the industry that are doing amazing things. Like Jim Lee is doing amazing things at DC Comics. And, you know, same thing. He went from an indie creator bullpen to the creative voice and controlling interest of DC Comics. But he actually is kind of the opposite of Stan in that he's not hugely... Um, focused on being the center of attention that he does care about the product and what the fans get that he's huge about his fans but stan was just always larger than life quite literally that you know he became literally the marvel and co by connection the comic book hype man for decades that he was just pushing on the medium and i think that's important that he was there coming up with those original ideas of you look at Stan's list of characters that he's credited with or co-credited with that 
it is literally in the hundreds of heroes, hundreds of villains. And for comic book collectors today, we're like, yeah, all those people are standard. It's like, yeah. And this guy at the time, kid, Stan Lee, was literally cranking those out every other month as new ideas. And that's just mind-blowing. But that alone wasn't enough for Stan. That as the civil rights movement came about, he realized that they had a mode of communication that they could tell stories in, important stories, and he stepped out and started telling stories in comics that were very relatable to what was going on in our culture at the time, that he gets a lot of credit through the creation of the X-Men and the stories that were being told of providing that social commentary on what was going on, but also telling just a great story in art and in character that it's mind blowing that that was part of who he was, that it wasn't just about telling a great story. It was, he was being very purposeful in some of the stories he was telling and when and how that for a period, superheroes were untouchable. They were perfect. And Stan was one of the guys that helped remind us that even superheroes have a bad day that, even some superheroes are teenagers. They're normal kids going through normal stuff on top of the reality of being superheroes. So it's just crazy to see what's going on there and what's happening. But he then transitions and he's also trying to provide very humble type stuff to the community that he was there during the early days of the comics authority code and making sure that things were good and wholesome in books. But then he also became the guy that started poking at the code and trying to be sure that there were other pieces to what's going on there. And it's just so good. So Stan just had so many different pieces to who he was and what he did it's hard to kind of isolate that one or two things that stands out, but we'd be so remiss if we, let, yeah, let me no, ask go for you this, it though. Like I see Jim Lee and like, realistically speaking, Jim to me could like, he's one of the people that if his name's attached to it, I'm a lot more prone to it. Like I've said before, hush was my first book back into comic books after a decade of not, um, like I appreciate, uh, everything Jim Lee has done. And I love what his, his, he is a name, especially to nerds, but he's not that flag bearer. Right. Um, nope. Totally agree. Uh, he could be, but it would take a lot of extroverted effort. Like who do you see that, uh, could be that the next Stanley, the next Stanley, like in geek culture, um, in the world we're in, in the world we're in, like who could be that next person? Well, I I think, and we've talked about this kind of off before the podcast got started, that, you know, I I agree that Jim might not have that, like, hype man mentality. Um, Todd McFarlane does have that kind of thing. And Todd has, I mean, Todd spent a lot of time in Stan's orbit and learning from Stan and... I th- and Todd stepped out to do that work with Image and to be a new creator and not be shackled by either society or anything in general that I think Todd McFarlane is potentially one of those people. He can be a little rough around the edges, but, you know, Stan wasn't perfect either. Um, Stan Todd wasn't is definitely- perfect, but Stan, I think, want, like he tried to be like yes. as palatable as possible. Humility is something that is definitely a part of who Stan is. And some folks might disagree with that, but I think Stan never was truly trying to beat his own drum. Um, Todd does occasionally, so I can see how um, that one's a little harder. But truthfully speaking, I think the thing that Stan left us and in looking at who could be next is Stan strikes me that he was the type of person that he, if he were to answer this question, I think Stan would say any one of us is fully capable of being that next person if we're willing to put in the work and truly believe in the thing that we do. And 
just watching my Facebook feed this week of creators I know that have interacted with Stan over their careers, interacted with people who were direct um, mentees, people that learned from Stan in the industry, they, they're just sitting there going, we want to attain that level of focus on our industry, our craft, and our fans that this industry can continue. So I, I know it sounds semi-cliche to be like, it's in your heart, it's all of you. But I think Stan was the type of guy that truly believed that that is possible. Yeah, and I think that any of us really can do that. Um, it's It's just that actually caring enough and putting yourself into it enough to actually move forward with that. And, you know, that's, that's one of those things. And like, I like realistically speaking, I would love to say that I could be the Stanley for what I'm doing. Um, right. Yep. Like one day for comic cons and faith, you know, intersections and stuff like that. I'd love to be able to be that one day to be able to look back, you know, in 50 years and say, you know, I helped bridge that gap or that little bit, the little things I did. Cause let's be real. We know that we all see Stanley characters, but the average person under 30 has never read something Stanley's actually written. That's an, that's an interesting point. The thing that, yeah, no, that's like, well said. Uh, the average person knows the outcome of Stan's work, but they've not read Stan's work. Literally, like my eight-year-old, the only thing they know from Stan is that he shows up like the fun grandpa at parties. Like he is the um, he's a uh, he's the fun grandpa that shows up in the movies that Dad takes them to see. He's the guy. Well, I don't know if you ever watched it, but it was a uh, the superhero squad cartoon show like he narrated it and that was one of my kids favorite shows um like and he was a main character on that like and this was like 10 years ago or not even 10 years ago my kids only 10 this is like five years ago he was a main voice and character for that um we're seeing the harvest of the work that he put in and that's the thing like you know jim lee is not that public face right now but he puts in the time and work going forward he's already laid the foundation he could be that um he could do those things and i don't think kevin fage fage i don't think that's gonna be him um right yep no yeah, I, I i don't see that being him um i really think one of the best people in the industry that could do it if he wanted it is jeff Loeb. that's a that's a good uh name into the ring that that's another person that off the top of your head you probably couldn't identify but you have definitely seen his work if you've watched anything on tv that's holding a superhero um underpinning he's probably executive produced it or is involved in it so you know Marvel's he went netflix from doing stuff or yep. netflix's marvel stuff um superhero movies that you've watched um heroes uh i mean he's written some of the best marvel and dc books but again like, how many people can point to an interview or a conversation they've had with Jeff Loeb? Like, or that they remember. It's it's that vocal part of it. And, you know, not to hardcore Jesus juke this, just but just to say, you know, there's the scripture that says, do not grow weary in doing good, because in due time you will, when the time is right, you will get the harvest for your work. Um, you know, it's... I guarantee like Stanley had been in comics for years and didn't see that it was going to end like this, that he was like so celebrated. Um, and I, I think that with a lot of us, we don't see that it's going to be celebrated. Um, but that's the thing. I don't think he did it for the celebration. I did it because he thinks he cares. Um, I've been writing some stuff for about, you know, Stanley this week, they're planning for the next book. And like, there's this one interview I keep going back to, where he says in a hundred years, uh, if people still remember my name at all, which that made me giggle, um, cause I really do. Right. I, I don't think that, you know, okay. Get granted a hundred years is a long time. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that we're going to be in a place in a hundred years where we've forgotten Stan Lee, but, uh, 
he said that what he would want to be remembered for is that people liked his writing. That we liked stories that he wrote. Um, and I thought it was funny. It's He didn't say, remember the universe I created or the characters. He's like, I want people to be able to read back or to look back and like what I've written. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to be able to do that. I think we're going to be able to say that. And I think we're going to be able to say that like nobody else. Um, right. And, it's, I, and to- I think that goes into our ethic of what are we willing to create and put into it? Because the stuff that we think is frivolous and stupid could actually be important to the world. And I think that's exactly kind of to come full circle that every biography that's already been written, and I'm sure ones that will be written on Stan Lee will all start at the same place. He wanted to be a writer. He absolutely, his literal goal was to write the great American novel. And just seeing his story unfold and where he ended up and how he ended up doing it, a lot of literary folks might say, well, he he never got around to it. But I think a lot of us in comic books would say he did exactly that, that to talk about the great American novel or the great American experience, that some kid that had a dream wandered into an editorial shop of an industry that he was growing, but he knew nothing about went from making coffee for some of the greats um, even before his time and then ended up surpassing a lot of them in what he did with his life. That I, I think that's why so many of us were bummed this week and why, you know, at the same time, we're going to take a great deal of hope into the future of comics that he spent over 70 years in an industry that is really just a little over 80 years old in America. <laughs> yeah. Do, he didn't do, start do that, it, but do he that made math it real quick. He didn't start it, but he made it better. <laughs> and I think that's, that's who Stan is to a lot of creators is it's an industry of 70 years that had a lot of ups and a lot of downs, like almost, into non-existent downs and stan was nope we, this this is a medium that matters it's explicitly american in the context of telling these types of stories in the sequential manner that it it is the life work of writing the great american novel so so stan you know i i say as as one geek to another that you know thank you for giving us so much and not just the worlds that you created, but the text that you got the paper, but then also the mentality to just work hard for the things that you love and to stay focused on those things, that these are great lessons to us all that we we can start at the bottom and work our way. We just have to be willing to do the hard work and to truly care about the things we do. So, you know, you can take that to the bank. Um so, right. And and Stan chose that saying for many good reasons as well, that, you know, he always finished things with Excelsior, um, that it actually comes directly off the state of New York seal. And it's basically that concept of overcoming by means that it's literally his story, but it's also the story of a people that, just sought out to do good things. So, so Stan, you're you're gonna be missed, and I'm I'm gonna borrow from something I saw on Facebook because I, I think it's really poignant and it's really great. Is that Stan? We're we're sad that you're gone and you're gonna be missed, but I, I think I'm gonna hang around for the after credits to see what comes <laughs> next. Yeah, I saw that this morning. Uh, it's so yeah. right. It's so it's so good though because I think that like we've talked about in terms of who Stan it uh, was and and what his legacy will be is that reality that literally we're, um, we're the post credit sequence stanley's just story right and that should be really encouraging to a lot of folks in the industry and i i know it is to me and i'm gonna watch a bunch of movies this weekend and there's a ton of great biographies on the industry and on marvel and on stan 
on Netflix. Apparently, if you search Excelsior on Netflix, it'll pull anything related to him now. Um, yeah, so that's your geek um, hookup for the weekend. But I, I encourage you to get out there and see what he did and see some of the stories and just listen to some interviews of people with him because it it's amazing what he did in those 70 plus years in the industry for us. And we just really wanted to kind of give you a glimpse. We can't even possibly scratch the surface of what Stan Lee did with his life here on the podcast, but we just wanted to give you a little bit of what we saw this week and what Stan meant to us. And I think that's pretty much going to do it for us today. Um, thanks everybody for listening and remember you can find us along with all the other love thy nerd podcasting network shows just about anywhere that podcasts can be found the itunes spotify stitcher radio if you don't see us somewhere let us know we can try to get it up there and also remember to subscribe and rate the show we're four episodes in we'd love to get some feedback and for people to let us know how we're doing and just share us on the social media and like we said at the top of the episode Join us in the Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook. Just search Love Thy Nerd and continue the conversation in the comments on this episode or in the community with us. So for the Pull List Podcast this week, I'm Chris Poirier. And I'm Hector Mira. And that's Hector reminding all you nerds out there, read more comics. Excelsior. Excelsior. You've been listening to the Pull List Podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Mira part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. Be sure to rate and review the show and share on all the social media. The master of epic duel!